Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Capital Adulting Podcast. I'm your host, Grant Gardner, and as always, great to be back with you again. And I know some of y'all out there were probably thinking that it was going to be another six, however many months, again, until you were going to hear from me. But like I said, I really do want to want to recommit to this, and I'm certainly excited to kind of be jumping back into this. I will say it is hot right now, sitting here... Uh, good reminder of how nice air conditioning is good thing you don't need in santa barbara too often but uh, in the spirit of things being hot segues nicely into today's topic going to be talking about inflation and interest rates a couple of things that we've been hearing a ton about over really i mean primarily in the last six months but you know i think the kind of the rumblings and the conversations around it have been going on even dating back to, to last year at this point so you know, I do get a lot of questions and I think just as like new financial issues arise out there, um, there's, you know, new terminology is, is is shared with the public and I think it just, it takes a little bit of time to get people up to speed. Folks want to know what's going on. So I figured today was a good opportunity to dive into that, give some, some baseline information, kind of walk through what are, you know, what is inflation? What plays into it? Why is it an issue? And then why we hear interest rates, um, why the Federal Reserve is taking kind of the center spotlight here. So main items I wanted to to cover today, we're, like I said, we're going to run through each um, kind of at the basic level. Again, not going to get super, super granular um, with each concept. That's not really the goal of the podcast, right? More so just about arming y'all with, with knowledge. So that way, when you're hearing these conversations, hearing things on the news, you're at least in a position to to track with what's going on. And if you want to dive deeper into it, you certainly can. So like I said, let's dive into it. So starting off with inflation, um, and really I even before we get into inflation specifically, let's take even one more step back uh, to really the most rudimentary you know, economic concept that's out there, um, and that's supply and demand. So that's something that I've think most folks are familiar with, right? Kind of a in concept, understanding what supply and demand is, um, use it's in folks vernacular, right? But how does it play into inflation and just the overall economic landscape? So that's really the bedrock of everything, right? Supply and demand. Supply, of course, is how much of a product or a, you know good or service how much of that is available to be purchased or is available on the market uh, demand on the other side is how many people want to purchase something you know at a specific price and that's the interesting thing um, about supply and demand uh, because of course you know in theory at least where supply and demand meet sets the price right um, that way if there's you know, a certain good that's going to be sold at say 20 bucks, X number of people are going to buy it there. And if that's where kind of the market lands, that's what's considered equilibrium, right? Where supply and demand meet, right? So again, I say generally for the sake of our conversation today, we're going to exclude, um, other factors, you know, like, uh, like one, one for instance is, is really on the regulatory side of things. So like say rent control, right? Maybe the, where the market equilibrium is for an apartment to rent could be say $2,000 a month. 
But if you have you know government regulation in place that says it can only be go up by a certain amount, or maybe they are like lower income housing units, and so they have to be rented at say a thousand dollars a month, right? There are certain constraints in place. Again, we're not going to spend a lot of time on that, but focus more on kind of the the broader picture. So, again, supply and demand is the bedrock of everything. Where they meet is the price generally. So, the the notion there is, you know, as demand increases, typically producers will move to produce more. So they what that way they can sell more at a higher price make more money but in turn that eventually you know brings prices back down right as supply and demand get back into equilibrium it is important to note too like uh it's hard to do it on a podcast but it's really helpful to have a visual tied to this if you just think about you know your normal graph like your xy axis right so you have your you have your you know one line um you know slanting downward is your demand line the other one slanting upward is your supply so these those lines when they shift right indicate an increase in supply and demand when they shift left they represent a decrease right so in notion if you think about that say you know a uh, hundred people would buy something at twenty dollars and a hundred of them can be produced and sold profitably at twenty dollars Right, that's your that's your equilibrium. But let's say something like we're seeing in the world right now, maybe that supply gets cut down to ten. And so as that supply curve shifts uh left, now all of a sudden, you know, maybe you're cutting demand down because it's at a higher price. So the supply and demand can both move opposite directions, same directions, they can move, one can move, right? There's a lot of different things in play there. Um, but the interesting thing to think about, like what shifts supply and demand isn't really just, isn't really just price, right? Price is like the byproduct of them. Um, if you think about, you know, say you want to buy a Lamborghini, right? I think everybody out there would probably buy it, buy one if they were $1 a piece, right? But if they're a quarter million dollars, of course, you know, the demand is is a lot less now that doesn't necessarily mean the demand curve has shifted right because if if for whatever reason supply or just the price came down all of a sudden like that demand exists just at different price points so that's something to think about it's more of like a paradigm shift where uh that really moves the curves along or the lines i should say on on our graph like a like a good example would be the recent i forgot the exact numbers you know, hundreds of billions of dollars uh, going into investing in like chip, you know, domestic chip production for the U.S. here. So something like that, you know, that is a significant shift in how many, you know, in theory at least, and how many chips can be produced in the United States. That increases our supply. Now that could bring prices down and therefore, you know, generate uh, you know, kind of more demand to be sold there. So, anyways, getting probably a little bit more technical than I needed to on supply and demand, but just Again, keep that in mind, right? Prices are set based on where supply and demand meet in most situations. So transitioning over to like what inflation represents, right? Inflation is when prices go up, okay? Um, that can also be conflated with, you know, reduced purchasing power, Um People look at, you know, inflation as the money you have is losing value, which 
It it is for sure. Um, it's just kind of the the way of thinking about it, right? Is because prices go up, your money is less valuable. Okay, but then you know you you can have kind of a chicken and egg thing a little bit there, but that's generally what it means. As prices go up, the dollars that you have right now can buy you less things than they could otherwise. Like, say you're you're pre, you budget fifty bucks a week to go to the grocery store. $50 bought you 10 items. Now all of a sudden $50 buys you eight items, right? So that might be something where you have to pick, you have to decide, okay, which two am I going to drop? Or do I spend, you know, $60 this week to buy my same 10 items? Uh, so that's where inflation comes into play. Um, really prices get driven up th through a multitude of things. Uh, it could be there's less supply, right? We've seen chip shortages, which have stemmed from uh, just, you know, COVID-induced, like, labor issues, uh, you know, supply, just in general, the whole supply chain across the world has gotten disrupted. So without, with fewer components, people are producing fewer things, therefore supply is being reduced. Um, it can also, you know, prices go up when there's more demand, right? More people want to buy things, more people can afford to buy something at, you know, buy their 10 items at $60 versus, you know, 10 at 50, right? Um, so as there's more demand, now all of a sudden, you know, they're, that can push prices up as well. Or it could be a combination of both. And honestly, that's what we're seeing right now in this hyper, uh, you know, this hyper inflation uh, time period, which we haven't seen in, in decades. We're seeing less supply and more demand. And, you know, what are, what's kind of the root causes of that? You know, really at this point where the world's at, it's essentially take your pick. You know, we have, we have COVID still going on, you know, China's zero COVID policy continues to present like a manufacturing and just a logistical nightmare, um, just on a whim, you know, they can shut down factories and ports and whatnot, and then everything's thrown, thrown off again. Um, so you have COVID, you have a war in Ukraine, which... You know, if you ask folks in like the Middle East and North Africa, what, you know, food prices, uh, you know, they're getting crushed over there because of the war. Um, there was so much stimulus thrown into the market, right? And what stimulus does, you know, which are government programs basically, you know, to purchase things, to give money out to people. We're all familiar with stimulus checks at this point, right? That is meant to give, you know, gives people more money so they can go buy more things, right? That increases demand because there's more money out there. So you think of all the stimulus that is that is piled up. Um, the labor market's been super hot. So we've seen wages increase dramatically, you know, in previous times, it'd be something where it's like, hey, you know, let's say, in theory, at least, or, you know, by certain <laughs> certain estimates, certain measures, maybe inflation's going up 2% a year. Um, and someone gets a 4%, you know, increase, annual increase, something along those lines. But we've been for the last, you know, 12, 18 months in a time where, you know, people are seeing double digit increases, uh, you know, in a lot of places, companies are so worried about losing people that they're handing out big jumps in pay and over overall compensation. So what does that mean? People have more money to buy more things, right? So stimulus wage increases a silent thing that's kind of going on in the background which i may do a whole separate episode on is just how student loans continue to be paused um, that originally started as a covid stimulus measure and at this point has become a bit more of a political football as the unemployment rate for 
recent grads is somewhere in the low 2% range. So not really stimulus at this point. Uh, but again, we don't really dive into politics here, but that might be something I, I focus on in a separate episode. Um, so all those factors are pushing inflation up, right? There's, there are fewer things, which when there's just fewer things, typically that means fewer people are buying them, right? But because people have more money on hand right now and they feel comfortable about their economic positioning, they're going out and make, continuing to make those same purchases. So now it's more of, you know, my example where I use someone goes to the grocery store with 50 bucks and they bought 10 items. And now it's because of price increases. They get eight items for $50. Most people right now are saying, ah, you know, whatever, I'll pay the $60 so I can have my, my same 10 things. Right. So that's what we're seeing. And that's what continues to stoke the, you know, stoke inflation. Um, it's you know it is an interesting situation you know by some measures you know te- you know by some measures we're in an economic recession by others we're, we're certainly not um so the time of recording this is august 7th uh the most recent jobs report came out i believe this past friday thursday or friday the 4th or the 5th um and broadly speaking so that well real quick jobs report indicates how many new jobs were created or jobs were lost over the last month in the U.S. economy, right? Obviously, when jobs are being created, the economy is, you know, kind of on the upswing in theory. Uh, When jobs are being lost, we're on the downswing. So on this most recent report, um, folks were, economists were expecting around 250,000 jobs to be created, which would be a slowdown, which is honestly, it was just what we're aiming for right now a little bit of an economic slowdown to try to cool things off. But instead, I think the number came in like 538,000, so more than double the estimates, which means things are crazy hot. Um, We officially now have all the jobs back from before COVID. So before the huge onslaught of, I think, 22 million jobs were lost temporarily, um, we are now back to even, which is wild. Unemployment, I believe, dropped to 3.5%. So... What does that mean? It means people continue to be employed. People have more more income, which means spending is likely to stay strong until something causes it to slow down, right? So what is the silver bullet? What is the trick to getting things to slow down that doesn't end with, you know, hundreds of thousands or millions of people losing their jobs and just threatening their, their livelihoods in general, right? That's where interest rates come in. So you've heard, I'm sure we've all heard a lot about the Federal Reserve. Um, they've been they've been increasing interest rates, and there's been you know other ripple effects, right? But again, just like how we need to backtrack to supply and demand to frame the inflation conversation, we have to do a similar thing here with with interest rates. So at a base level. Uh, there are two types of, of policies out there. So we have fiscal and monetary policy. Fiscal is pure government, right? This is you know the United States government. Um, the Federal Reserve is technically, um, by definition, independent, although the uh, chairman of the Federal Reserve and other positions are essentially appointed and confirmed by the president and the Senate. So take that with a grain of salt, right? But technically, the Federal Reserve is independent of the U.S. government. So fiscal 
is the government, monetary is the Federal Reserve. So each one of those, you know, policy tracks has different tools that they can employ. And the whole goal is to essentially smooth out the economy, right? Where you don't, if you think of just, just waves on a graph again, you know, there's peaks and there's troughs. Um, really the goal of, of the government, in particular the Federal Reserve, is to, I should say really more the Federal Reserve, the government, you know, depends on the election cycles. Um, but the Federal Reserve's goal is to smooth things out where we don't want to get too high and we don't want to get too low. Essentially, like you want to have high, like high points and low points are natural, natural part of the, it's a cyclical nature of, of the economy and kind of the, the, the world we live in. But the problem is when you get too high, you run too hot, you set yourself up for a bigger, more painful fall. Right, something where it's like maybe you push unemployment down the three percent, but because you know, uh, you know, because you were so super aggressive, then you have some bubbles that burst or whatever might happen. Now unemployment hits ten percent, right? And you swing way too far the other way. It's almost like when you're say you're driving down a highway, right? And you go hundred miles an hour, and then you have to slam on your brakes. You know, you go hundred to zero really quick. Maybe you get into a car accident, right? Really, what the Federal Reserve is trying to do is say, hey. You know, in general, like for good things to happen, we need to average 70 miles an hour. So that means like, hey, when we hit 85, we're going to look down and go, oh, you know what? That's a, that's a little too fast. You know, I'll slow down before I get pulled over. Right. Or we're looking and we're like, hey, you know, we're we're at 55. You know, we need to we need to apply the gas a little bit here, getting a little distracted behind the wheel or just behind the curve a bit. So that's what the Federal Reserve is trying to do. Right, they want to keep things smooth. Where they want to encourage the highs and lows, they just want to have lower highs and higher lows, if that makes sense. So that is, you know, the baseline. And interest rates fall squarely in the monetary policy side of things. Right, they are handled by the Federal Reserve. And when we say interest rates, it's really one key rate we're talking about that has a ripple effect. So um, that is kind of the key rate that the, the Federal Reserve sets um, is essentially like the cost of, of for banks to, to borrow, right? Um, so it, it makes sense. You have to think about what the Fed is doing through interest rates as a, it's just a chain reaction. So let's say, for example, you know, you, you want to borrow $10, um, to then, you know, who knows, build a, a lemonade stand, right? And someone says, hey, I'll give you $10, but, you know, eventually you have to pay me $11 back. So you say, okay, great, whatever, you know, I'll, cool, I'll, I'll pay the $11. And so then you sit down as you're, you know, opening your lemonade stand, you're thinking about how much do, you know, I need to charge, thinking, okay, I have to pay back $11, right, to, for the person I borrowed from. I have to give them 11 back. So maybe that means I need to charge, I don't know, 25 cents, a cup of lemonade. This is obviously a very rudimentary example, but just trying to get this across. So let's say you figure out, hey, I can make money by charging 25 cents uh, for a cup of lemonade. Maybe six months later, you need to borrow another $10. And that person says, oh, yeah, like I'll give you another $10. But now, you know, you're going to have to give me $12 back, right? Interest rates have increased. The cost of borrowing, that's really the key thing there. The cost of borrowing has increased. So now you go, okay, well, I, I, I need the money, so I'm going to borrow. I have to pay $12 back. 
you're sitting down, you crunch the numbers for your lemonade stand, and you think, okay, great, well, now they have to pay $12 back, maybe I need to charge 40 cents for a cup of lemonade, right? And it starts pushing things higher. If I tell you, hey, it's now you you, you want that $10, it's gonna cost you 13 to pay back, or 14 to pay back, and so on and so forth. All of a sudden, now your, your cup of lemonade goes from 25 cents to 40 to 60 to a dollar, right? Things like that. And as prices increase, the demand drops where maybe you had a hundred people are ready to buy from you, you know, at, at 25 cents for a cup. Now that you have to charge a dollar, you have 10 people, right? So that is what we're trying to like, what, what's the federal reserve is trying to do at this stage here is figure out a way to essentially like negatively affect demand because demand is too strong right now. Demand has to be reduced. And that means demand for workers, demand for goods, for services across the board. Basically, we need to stop creating jobs in a sense, uh, or really just slow things down economically. We're now there's not a bidding war. There's not 18 offers going in on a house, um, and you know things just aren't moving as quickly. You know uh, that's kind of what the Federal Reserve is trying to do. They're trying to tamp down that demand. Right. And when they increase interest rates, like I, you know, like I laid out there, it makes it more expensive to borrow. And really the whole world runs on debt, right? Everybody doesn't matter who it is. It could be you at the personal level, all the way up to, you know, the government to blue chip companies like Apple. Like it's not, it's not a coincidence that you could see Apple sitting on, you know, let's say whatever they're at now in cash. Last I heard was like around hundred billion, probably more. Um, so why would a company that has a hundred billion dollars in the bank, you know, need to issue bonds, right? Bonds, like they need to go out and they're, they're borrowing money. Why would you borrow money if you had a hundred billion dollars in the bank? And there's a whole multitude of reasons for that. We won't get into that today. Um, but everybody uses debt to essentially extend what they can do, right? Like if you, like if you want to buy, say, a five hundred thousand dollar house, like you could put a twenty percent down payment, and maybe that takes you, say, three years to to save up that hundred thousand dollar down payment. But if you had to put all five hundred thousand dollars down, that might take you, say, fifteen years or longer, right? So that's where where debt comes into play is like when used responsibly, you can you can extend, you can increase quality of life, kind of extend your production capabilities. You can do a whole lot of things. Of course, you know, if you overuse it, then you can haunt yourself again, kind of a kind of a separate thing. But thing is, when it costs more to borrow money, when it costs more to take on that debt, people don't want to do it. Right. I oh, I don't you know, I would have borrowed the ten dollars if I only had to pay the one dollar extra back. But now if I have to pay four dollars back, for, you know, fourteen dollars back on the ten dollars then that doesn't make sense for me. My, my numbers have changed, right? And so now when that happens, what's the ripple effect? The Federal Reserve increases their rates. So banks pay more when they're borrowing. In turn, when banks lend money out to other people, they have to charge more. So now we're seeing that, like, that's why you see mortgage rates going up. You just see other interest rates going up across the board. It just, it costs more to borrow and those costs just keep getting passed down. And so where, you know, where does that come into play, right? Like, how does that, how does that get us back to, we want to reduce demand? Well, let's say, say a business needs $10 million 
to build a new factory and that's going to create 2000 jobs. They might, they might've run their numbers and say, Hey, we'll be profitable if we can get the $10 million, you know, at 3% interest. If we can do that, great. It's profitable. Let's move forward. You know, that's an initiative. Like we want to do it. But now as interest rates go up, maybe that same $10 million loan comes with 5% interest. And that company sits down, they adjust their numbers, their models, and they look at it and they go, Hey, you know what? Like, yeah, we would have made money at 3% and we still would have made a little bit of money at 4%, but if we're paying 5%, it's a guaranteed loser. We will not make money on it, uh, barring a miracle. Therefore, we're not going to move forward, right? A business isn't going to make a major investment with a high degree or a, or a certainty that they're going to lose money. That's not the point of business. And it's the same thing at the personal level. If you knew you could pay, you could have a mortgage, you know, mortgage payment at $2,000 a month. And as interest rates go up, you now realize, hey, my mortgage payment would be 2,500. You can no longer afford a house. So what do you do? You stop looking, right? And that's what the Federal Reserve is getting at is how can they slowly tamp down that demand so there aren't individuals, you know, trying to buy houses with mortgages and there's businesses that aren't investing as much or they're not creating as many jobs, right? They're, they're, they're trimming back. How can they slow things down without causing kind of a full recession? And that's what they're trying to do through interest rates. Now it's, it's open to debate in terms of the, you know, the course of action so far. Um, you know, it's likely fair to say the Federal Reserve was far was behind on trying to get on top of inflation because that's the again, that's kind of that going back to supply and demand, right? As we reduce demand, you know, that will pull prices back down. There's fewer people trying to buy something. And so it pulls us, you know, moves the equilibrium uh, back down on the price side of things. So higher interest rates do work. Um disproportionately they work um, in just different areas again the effects can be different depending on what you're talking about but that's that's what's going on right now so that's why you keep hearing like oh you know the Federal Reserve increases their interest rate um, we've actually seen um, if I remember correctly I think I believe we've seen four rate increases this year it started with you know a quarter of a percent uh, then they did a half percent and then in both June and July They've done three quarters of a percent, something that we haven't seen in about 30 years. Um, and after we saw the employment numbers from this last week, there is a significantly higher chance we're probably going to see more aggressive action from the Federal Reserve. We're in like this weird state right now where like those costs are going up. But this kind of leads into my next point is like the market is just things are so psychological. So we're almost like in this state now where either people are in disbelief of what's going on or they just don't anticipate the effects actually setting in. So that's something where it's almost like the average consumer and even businesses still are defying the economic trend. But I mean, a big part of things is psychological, right? Whether that's the stock market or, or anything in general, people are just irrational they we think we think we're rational we think we're logical we think we make good decisions um we just flat out don't right that doesn't that doesn't make sense and what i mean by by that is like let's say um 
again, like let's say, take that business example where they said, hey, at 3%, we'd make a lot of money. At 4%, we make a little bit. At 5%, we don't make anything. Maybe that business is looking down. They go, hey, well, you know what? Well, if if we invest at 5%, you know, we've been thinking that we could, only, we could produce X amount or we could sell it at a certain price. What happens if we, if we jack that price up 20%? Well, maybe we can still cover our basis. So maybe let's move forward with the project, right? It's like casting more doubt on, on the equation or more more doubt on that decision-making process. But it's not not seeing a, a massive shift yet, probably not the kind of shift we need to uh, to safely slow things down. That's um, why you hear a lot more about recession talks coming up. Um, but... Yeah, it just it, it's interesting. It's it's very interesting because there is the fundamental side of the market and just making decisions. Then I said there's that emotional, the psychological side of things, and it's it's fascinating because expectations or fears really do become self self fulfilling. So you hear folks talk about that with inflation a lot. So like here here's an example. So let's say Costco is kind of a middle, a middleman of sorts, right? They have suppliers. They go and purchase food, you know, food and goods and whatever else they put in their warehouse and they sell it to their members. So Costco might be sitting there and thinking, "Hey, well, you know what? We think costs are going to continue to go up. That, um, you know, let's say like that bag of asparagus. Like, yeah, that was five dollars, but." Maybe like we think our, you know, we think costs are going up. So we're going to preemptively raise the price of our asparagus to $6, right? So maybe that is followed up with, say, like the farmers or the suppliers of asparagus come to Costco and they go, hey, you know what? We did, we used to sell, sell this to you for $3. Now we have to sell it for 4 So Costco was like, perfect. We were on the mark. You know, we moved from 5 to 6 You know, we're preserving most of our profit margin. Um and then, yeah, now consumers are faced with a higher price. But there is a lot of anticipatory adjustments going on there where, you know, maybe Costco thinks prices are going to go up 25%. So they raise their prices 25%. But if their suppliers only increase 10%, maybe they overshot the mark. But at the same time, too, like what's done is done, right? They essentially manufactured the inflation. And I'm not picking on Costco. And that was just really the first thing that came to mind for me, right? These are businesses literally everywhere everybody is doing this um so costco goes well you know what like at this point it's just baked in like maybe we adjust our prices back down but maybe maybe we don't and now all of a sudden you know your prices are 25 percent higher and should they necessarily have been maybe maybe not right but it does become self-fulfilling and you see that like you see it in you know rent increases just food other things like that it's it's people and businesses trying to be proactive for out of you know self-preservation in a sense so never underestimate the the power of the the psychological side of things um really i think we saw it firsthand during 2020 a lot uh like in the stock market for instance it at that point everybody you know fear was you know off the charts everybody's doomsday um and then we start seeing like you know corporate earnings are coming out and you see stocks are just popping off right earnings aren't earnings aren't great but everybody psychologically was so prepared for every company to basically be on the brink of bankruptcy uh, on the edge of falling apart so now when you start seeing like 
hey, maybe this company was going to make, you know, without COVID, they would have made a hundred million this quarter and maybe they made 70 million. Right. Well, people were thinking in their heads like, oh, well, you know, there was, we were thinking they're going to make 20 million this quarter. So we need, you know, that's all we need to sell. Like, oh, if they only make 20 million, the company's worth X amount. So all of a sudden you start seeing, you know, price, you know, stocks moving back up because people were pleasantly surprised. And then it flipped. It really flipped like the last six months or so. Like now all of a sudden it's like the earnings, like it doesn't really matter, right? Earnings could be good. People wanted better and stocks are getting punished. So it's, it's interesting where how how perception is so key and that's where you see like the federal reserve is like trying to work that angle of things too yes they they do the the mechanical piece where they tech they technically raise interest rates but it's also the notion of hey they just get out there you know they're speaking to the press they're speaking in events and talking about needing to slow things down needing to be more aggressive in hopes that people read into what they say to then you know kind of push prices back down slow things down like the whole goal is to to be able to message the fed is trying to message their way out of it right they don't want to increase rates you know that gets that's expensive and that's costly and that's you know a little bit harder to move back but if just by giving a speech by saying a few things they can get people to slow down that's a win so think about that like these interest rates increases are it's it's like a it's a two-prong approach you have the yes the actual act of raising the rates which makes things more expensive to borrow therefore people can't borrow as much they don't make as you know they don't produce as much they don't buy as much as demand decreases prices should decrease or stabilize with it in theory right we are in a crazy time um the unemployment numbers going down still is as as weird as it sounds it is unfortunately not a good sign where you don't the things are still too overheated and so if unemployment goes down it's a sign that things are continuing to heat up even more so you know next thing you know you're gonna you're gonna look like most of the country has been all summer and just getting just getting torched nonstop. so we are we are in an interesting time and just as a as a quick recap to to tie this out everything really does come back to supply and demand right you have government and federal reserve are manipulating it they're they're in the mix they're doing certain things right but prices are generally set by where the supply and demand curves meet each other um, monetary and fiscal policy can affect that the federal reserve is you know trying to push that demand down to hopefully tamp down prices um but really the thing within it's tough it's a high inflationary time is very tough as an individual person right there are not really great investment options no not great places to protect your money as much as as folks you know or those clickbait articles will tell you um, and then just as consumers, it gets expensive. You're living paycheck to paycheck, or maybe you were barely above water. Like inflation can push you in the negative, or even further into negative territory. So it is a it is a very difficult time across the board. And unfortunately, it's you know I maybe mean, this is a little bit more subjective. Some indicators are kind of leaning towards it getting worse before it's going to get better. Hopefully that's not the case, right? It's all about, again, Fed's trying to smooth things out, what they call engineer soft landing. 
seems unlikely at this stage, but but we'll see we'll see how it plays out. Um, the final thought to um, just around inflation, you know, it just people want more money today. So when you're looking at it from an investment perspective, right, the notion of hey, I put a dollar in, and you know, maybe over five years it grows to something something else, right? Maybe it grows to say you know, $3, which would be great. Um, now with uncertainty and with inflation, think about that. The $3 five years from now might not be the same, might not be have the same value as $1 today. So that's why you see people shifting their money around. They're shifting more towards, um, hey, like what's going to, what has like consistent value? You know, you're like people buying gold, right? Oh, looking for something that's consistent value, like a hedge against inflation. Or maybe you invest in companies that pay dividends um, and where it's like, hey, like, you know, I'm going to get money money now versus investing in this tech company that, you know, they might increase in value fivefold. But if that increase, you know, even if they do that, which they might not, there's that risk. But even if they do that, what if it's worth less than the money to have to put in today? So that's why how the calculus has changed on the investment front. And really, it's just it's difficult to navigate it. So um, just like I talked about in last week's episode, really, the key thing is to is to be defensively opportunistic, you know, make sure you're protected, keep your bases covered, um, but keep an eye out. Maybe there is an opportunity where eventually, like so many people have sold off their their tech companies uh, to the point where. Now they're they're pretty cheap, right? Maybe maybe I don't know. That's that's very subjective. I'm not I'm not an expert in any way, shape, or form there. Um, but that's just that's just my two cents. There is that being defensively opportunistic to ensure you you're covered at the at a fundamental level. You're not you're not going to be at risk of you know living on the streets or not be able to put food on the table, things like that. Be defensive on that front, um, but be opportunistic. Don't be afraid to to pull the trigger when you see a good opportunity. So anyways yeah as always um try to keep these things around the half an hour mark we're a little bit over um per usual so um with that we'll go ahead and wrap it up hopefully this was informative again wanted to give kind of a baseline run through of you know what is inflation what ties into it why is it important and detrimental um and then what how the interest rate game kind of plays into it what what it does to counteract inflation what um you know, how the Fed's employing it, um, and just some, some, you know, baseline economic concepts below that. So hopefully again, today's episode was informative as always. If you have any thoughts, questions, ideas, whatever you want to hear about, let me know, find me. Um, you can find me on, on Instagram, LinkedIn, wherever, wherever you may be, but until next time, I hope y'all take care.